Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Proudly celebrating 15 years, here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with machine learning and artificial intelligence in the federal government. With me on today's show are Riley Repko, Strategic Advisor to the Air Force Secretary and Chief of Staff, U.S. Air Force. Pam Isom, Department of Deputy CIO, Department of Energy. Sandre Gupta, Chief Technology Officer, Small Business Administration. Ron Butra, Chief Technology Officer, Department of Justice. Henry Sowell, Chief Information Officer at Cloudera Government Solutions. Jim Richburg, Public Se Sector Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet. Alan Jacobson, Chief Data and Analytics Officer, Altrix. We're talking about artificial intelligence. There was an executive order, order that came out last year, 13859, some guidance behind that. There's been issuance to to issue a chief data officer across the, the, all the departments and agencies. Lots of data out there, lots of low cost computing, lots of capability for artificial intelligence and machine learning across the federal government. Uh, let's get right into it and uh, we'll start with you, Riley. Let's talk about the Air Force. What's happening in regards to artificial intelligence and machine learning across the Air Force? Hey, good afternoon, Luke, and thank you very much for the uh, invitation. It's nice to be back. Um, if I may, just a quick disclaimer that the, the views and thoughts and opinions that uh, I'm going to express today are mine and not necessarily those belonging to the Air Force you know, where I currently serve. But uh, regarding your question, where the rubber meets the road, our Air Force major areas, of course, include predictive maintenance and logistics, you know, target identification, we have projects in weather, uh, we have a major initiative with the Department of Defense and Command and Control and global integration of sensors, uh, kind of the IOT uh, for the military. We do a lot of image processing. Uh, of course, most of you have heard of the MAVEN project. Uh, and these are all examples of project of progress and activities where the Air Force mission has placed significant investment and have seen an improvement. But we have numerous activities that are progressing nicely as well. Uh, we're doing a lot of data policy work, uh, not an area that I specialize in, um, but we also have uh, new senior leadership development courses to educate our leaders in the area of AI and ML. Our, uh, there's a huge commitment by our Air Force leadership to challenging our young airmen to become part of the solution by actively responding to real problems with their innovative ideas. And finally, leveraging our Air Force Accelerator and this involves incubation to hard problems. And primarily this is all done with our partnerships with academic institutions. And, and these include MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Dartmouth, et cetera. Uh, and also we have a, an organization that's part of the defense department called the Jake, the Joint AI Center. And we do a lot of work uh, collaborating with them. You know, we certainly don't need redundancy of effort, but rather awareness to what's out there so we're not all chasing the same thing. And it really is a team effort, right? There's activity at the department with the Jake, across the, uh, the academic community, et cetera. Uh, it's all hands on deck trying to uh, use this technology, use it uh, in, a, in a thoughtful way, in a, in a very strategic way. So um, I think that's awesome. Uh, Pam, how about over at Energy? Um, a lot of activity going on in Energy. I can't, I'm sure there's there's a plethora of use cases for AI and ML uh, that are um, going on across the energy sector, I would imagine. Uh, absolutely. So first of all, thanks for the opportunity to talk um, and share some of the insights this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, we all have to start out with some type of disclaimer. So the opinions are my own this morning, uh, but I do represent the Department of Energy at the same time. So if I'm thinking about some of the things that we're doing, we have, um, as I mentioned the last time I was here, we are still progressing forward with the high performance computing efforts, but now we're moving forward with working with uh, the consortium, the HPC consortium. So a lot of the national labs, as well as uh, the uh, headquarters are involved with uh, the consortium type of efforts where we are teaming with industry and academia and uh, building and uh, solving 
uh, challenges that involve the use of AI, ML, and cognitive science as a whole. If I think about something specifically, I think about COVID. So our teams have, uh, from headquarters, my organization has built an app that uh, provides a lot of capability around case management and tracking uh, the COVID cases. So it's highly confidential. At the same time, it is uh, an application that we've built to help uh, manage the situation in our environment. Along with that is the uh, cases and the applications that we've built uh, working in the consortium effort to really uh, conduct molecular uh, diagnosis and uh, preventive type of activity so that we can do things to address the pandemic, but also head it off before another one uh, uh, approaches us. So there is a lot of work in that space that we're really proud of because we know that um, the pandemic that we're under now and the need for crisis management, um, all of that, there's a ton of data, there's a lot of research that needs to happen. There's a lot of planning, there's a lot of forecasting that needs to happen. And we can't do it without the use of AI, ML, cognitive science as a whole, and also natural language processing. So we are very excited about that effort. This recent uh, situation has really brought to the forefront the uh, uh, a variety of use cases for this type of technology, which um, is, uh, uh, is certainly timely. Uh, Sanjay, how about over at SBA? I know you all have been right in the middle of a lot of activity going on over there. Uh, give us a top line on what's going on in regards to AI and ML and Small Business Administration. Sure, uh, thank you for having me back here, Luke. Glad to be back. Um, I'd like to start first with sharing just a quick concept around AI ML, and I think it's an important concept. Uh, what I call it is simply there are two kind of camps of people that use AI ML, creators and consumers. And the reason I wanna bring this distinction is because for the most part, like in the technology world, most of us are consumers of artificial intelligence or machine learning. And why I spring that up is there's only probably a very small proportion of the users who are creators of the algorithms and the other things that go behind AI and ML. Uh, clearly, we at the SBA are in the consumer category. Uh, we're not writing algorithms. And I think there'll be a distinction that becomes more clear as we continue the panel discussion. So from our standpoint of the SBA, we have been using uh, ML mostly, I would say less of AI, but mostly in the machine learning category uh, for the over probably two and a half years now. And I'll give a little quick uh, overview of those activities that are going on. The two that I wanna quickly talk about are uh, ones that we introduced in the last 100 days, obviously with the uh, pandemic response, uh, and one we had uh, in place uh, around cybersecurity, around anomaly protection for almost two, two and a half years. And I've talked about this on your show previously as well. So let me give you a quick overview. Obviously, a lot of people know about the Small Business Administration's role uh, in the pandemic response. So we had a flood of applications and loan applications and customer service inquiries that came by uh, as a result of that. And so one of the things we uh, were grappling with was receiving a lot of applications as PDFs or images or other forms or documents. And we needed a way to process these documents quickly, obviously, extract the data from them, uh, and make it available in a structured forum so that the rest of the workflow could use them. And so we used cloud-based uh, machine learning solutions to be able to process uh, you know, a large number of applications and supporting documents uh, for loans primarily and be able to use that. The second use case I will probably want to quickly cover as well is uh, customer service inquiries that we were receiving, obviously that volume went up uh, significantly high. And uh, so we implemented again, cloud-based sentiment analysis capabilities on our incom incoming email. And that allowed us to see what was happening in terms of customer sentiment, in terms of trends, and be able to use that information to inform how we would update our frequently asked questions, uh, how did we need to make adjustments to our programs, uh, and be able to get a pulse of the consumer or the customers as well. Um, the third use case that I want to talk briefly about is around the cybersecurity dom uh, domain, and this is around anomaly detection. 
And what we do in this case is the fact that I'll give a couple examples just to illustrate what that means. For example, um, let's say I logged in in the United States, Washington DC office, say at 8 a.m. Eastern time this morning. And let's say my login ID was used at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, uh, and it shows that it's coming from Los Angeles, California. Obviously, I could not be in 30 minutes in Washington DC and be in Los Angeles. So clearly there's probably some a need to uh, review this situation and see if this was indeed true. Uh, it's called as an improbable travel alert. Um, so this is just a very simple illustration of how we are using some built-in capabilities, which is around machine learning, where a user profile is you know, created over a period of time and to do some anomaly deduction. So anyways, we'll talk more about this, but those are sort of a few examples that we are using at the SBA right now. Lots of great use cases going on over there at SBA. Ron, how about at uh, Department of Justice? I know that uh, you're working across the department and agency sort of at the interagency level on a lot of this activity. Now, give us a state of the state as to what's going on there. Yeah, I, first off, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, good to see a lot of uh, um, friends and familiar faces here. So I, I think one of the really interesting things that uh, you, you've heard from these different agencies is there is no universal definition for AI. And I think that a lot of people are struggling for what does it really mean when people start talking about artificial intelligence versus cognitive computing versus machine learning? What is deep learning? And it, there's a lot of words out there. One thing that I think we all as a community need to understand is, is this is something that's been around for some time, which you know a lot of these these thoughts and these these really these uh, techniques started in the 50s, and what we've seen over time is is that the neural nets were have been in place for 20 years, and today, really because of the advances in computing, in data access, and the amount of storage we have, the ability to to uh, really process that data at a much higher rate we are allowed to do the types of techniques that we weren't able to 20 years ago when I was in college playing with neural nets. Um, so one of the things that um, as the co-chair from the CIO Council's Innovation Committee, um, we, we have done a number of things to try and spread out, spread the messages and make sure that we're building upon the executive orders um, and a lot of the good work from across the government. And that's included in having a number of roundtables and where we've had really thought-provoking thought, um, thought conversations on data science and AI, the impact to the workforce, which is, you know, there's a lot of people who are concerned about what this means and really about ex uh, sharing out successful use cases across the entire government. Um, in addition, there's a lot of really good work that's happening that we can leverage across the government, not just learning from the good successes uh, that you're hearing about. I mean, and honestly, you've got four, three forward-leaning organizations with me on on this organ uh, on this call today. And then, in addition, um, think about the good work that we're seeing out of NIST um, and the AI community of practice that we've we're seeing out of uh, GSA, and that's sponsored by the CIO Council. There's a lot of good resources that are coming across the government, and part of this is just making sure that there's a good set of messages and um, the connectivity tissue that is needed to make sure that everyone can accelerate with this new technology. And, and everyone learning from each other, right, as we, we go on this journey about the use of this technology and making sure that we have good policies and make sure the policies are working, et cetera. So I'm really pleased to see that the community is coming together and and uh, and sharing information so that we can further this mo movement. Uh, Henry over at Cloudera, I think Henry, I, uh, I transitioned you over to the Chief Information Security Officer, and of course, you're the Chief Information Officer. Tell us about Cloudera, what Cloudera is doing, and how they're helping the, uh, the federal community enable this capability. Well, Luke, thank you for having me on. Uh, so there's actually been a lot of interesting things that we've been working with um, our government partners uh, here at Cloudera, um, a number of different use cases. And I, I really, uh, I, I liked uh, Sanjay's uh, comments on creators and consumers. And some of the things that I think we, we forget is, is a part of um, leveraging ML. There's a full data lifecycle that, that, uh, that, you, that you're working with, whether it's from uh, data collection, uh, data engineering, uh, 
um, before you ever get to machine learning? And then what do you do once you've, uh, once you have done that, then you have to actually serve it to somebody and, and have consumers that can leverage it, right? It's this, it's this production process of, of how do you get from one end to another? Um, and so we have, uh, here at CloudAira, we've been involved in, in a lot of that process is, is what does it look like getting uh, through that full life cycle? Um, we're working with a number of partners, you know, everything from um, helping to increase crop yields uh, in farming to uh, predictive maintenance in the Department of Defense. Um, I think that's been a, that's been a really significant uh, use case and helping to keep uh, more vehicles um, in, in the uh, you know, in, in working forward, um, uh, moving forward, uh, then I think the other really interesting use case is around cybersecurity. So Sanjay was hitting on this, um, and we've been working with a number of, um, uh, of different customers and really is to being able to operate at scale and to de uh, detect anom anomalies, right? Um, so we have, a, we have some partners where they're processing a billion uh, network events a day, right? And how do you process that significant uh, material, right? Your standard um, uh, SOC can't process the number of alerts that come through um, that, that may be of concern, right? And so leveraging uh, machine learning can help identify things that are of real interest, things that um, are, are anomalous where, where we can pr profile a, an entire workforce to say that, hey, here's the expected activity, but then what falls outside of those bounds? So it's been really um, diverse, the number of machine learning use cases that we've seen. Uh, I think the one thing that we've seen, and I'll probably talk about it later in this, is um, the, more, the increased e effectiveness of machine learning, uh, at getting it from not just a uh, a science project, to, but to actually having real production uh, use uh, out in the government space. I, I think we're seeing that evolution and, and we're starting to see more and more effectiveness uh, of, um, of machine learning in the government space. Much more accuracy and taking some of that labor off the table, sort of that, you know, finding that needle on a stack of needles. Uh, Jim, how about over at Fortinet? How do they sort of fit into this? Where do they uh, sort of uh, come together in enabling this capability? Thank you, Luke. It, it's good to be back on the program. Um, I want to build on the comments both of Sanjay and of Henry. Uh, Fortinet is a full-spectrum cybersecurity company. We started 20 years ago with firewalls, but now we're active at the edge, the endpoint, the core, the cloud. So when we talk about the, the diversity of the attack surface, um, an OEM like us is actively instrumenting all of that. So we tend to see globally 100 billion, with a B, pieces of security event data a day. The only way to make sense of a torrent of data like that is with AI and ML. And not only, as Henry said, to make sense of it, to be able to respond to it, but a big company like ours would also be a producer of capability as well, because in order to generate signatures, to actually come up with something that you want to alert on and that you need to put back into the instrumentation to respond to, you use AI and ML. And it's now by exception that a human generates the signature. It's now been basically fully automated thanks to AI and ML. So I think the, the, the point to make is if you are a big cybersecurity company that's playing across that attack surface, AI and ML is really a core capability of your business. You can't deal with that, that growing, exponentially growing torrent of data unless you've automated the big data analytics. No doubt about it. And, and, and quite honestly, a lot of these, these tools and capabilities that these agencies are buying have AI and ML incorporated in that. And I'm sure we'll talk all about that, but right now we're gonna take a short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. This is Bob Fortnat. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges, make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, go to fortinetfederal.com. 
Every agency is looking to propel their organizations forward with AI and machine learning, but many have not considered what shape their data is in. After all, garbage in is garbage out. From messy data to actionable insight, the Altrix Analytics platform provides a code-free, code-friendly environment that clears your path to advanced analytics. With geospatial, predictive, and machine learning, with Altrix, you can accelerate the quality and insights within your data, getting to the thrill of solving more quickly and efficiently. Visit altrix.com AI to learn more. At Cloudera, they believe that data can make what is impossible today possible tomorrow. Cloudera empowers the public sector to transform complex data into clear and actionable insights for government agencies and organizations. Cloudera delivers an enterprise data cloud for any data, anywhere from the edge to AI, powered by the relentless innovation of the open source community. Cloudera advances mission-critical digital transformation for the public sector's largest enterprises. Learn more at cloudera.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. We're talking about AI and ML, and we were just getting into sort of just the top-line activities about uh, what's happening across the, uh, the departments and agencies. And Alan, uh, going to throw it over to you. Just give us a top line on what's happening in regards to Alteryx, and how do you all fit into this ecosystem? Thank you, Luke. It's great to be here. Um, so, you know, at, at Alteryx, we're really about enabling everyone to jump into this AI and ML pool. And, and I, I'm really seeing this, this trend, and a couple of the panelists referred to it, the diversity of analytics is really increasing dramatically. We're starting to see it in, in every area of government, from local state to federal. We're seeing it in, in every area of, of, of the government's mission. Um, in, in every department. Um, Pamela talked about uh, the, the pandemic response as, as an example and, and a use case there. And I mean, if I look at the diversity of, of use cases that are happening just around COVID-19, uh, from exploring potential drugs to monitoring metrics and, and seeing what, what cases are looking like, predicting hospital loads, uh, HR analytics, looking at where employees are located, Work, did some work with the USDA. Where are all of their field offices, and what's the what level of risk is is each one of the offices in relative to the COVID outbreak? And so, you know, you look at that across the full spectrum of all the agencies and all the different missions and all the different departments. The really exciting thing is the diversity of those use cases. When I when I look uh, back in time, maybe the avian flu outbreak, Altrix was used. Uh, with the CDC and, and, and helping to speed up the response to that. But there were maybe a handful of use cases. And now the diversity of use cases is incredible. It's hard to keep up. Um, and in an Altrix, that's what we're really about, is enabling everyone uh, to be able to, to attack these problems using AI and ML. Right. And uh, you, 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 you capstone several different activities that are going on across the uh, of the departments and agencies. And uh, Pam, you uh, brought up a couple of really interesting ones, certainly timing, uh, timely. Uh, can you give us a, a specific example of a project that you all are working on uh, that's uh, really helping to enable your agency's mission? So one is um, the, um, the effort that we have to manage and track all the AI initiatives within the department we needed to do a better job of portfolio management and really knowing what's going on within the department as well as what's lined up. So we literally are looking at what should we be doing next based on the data that we have. And then across the federal government, they continually ask, what are we doing in certain areas? What are the data sets, right? What are the what is the inventory and so we have uh, it seems like a fundamental activity but we know today for instance that we have over 600 ai initiatives going on and we know about how much we're spending on those initiatives and we know the progression that we're making towards uh, tangible outcomes so that's one example the other example that i wanted to share though is the humanitarian assistance. So by me being the senior agency official for geospatial information, I am fortunate enough to work a lot with the, um, the, the what's going on around the world and get more involved with that type of data and data analytics. Mm -hmm. And so the humanitarian assistance work 
for instance, we're working with the first responders to help them to understand the perimeters of the fires. So for instance, before the wildfires break out, is there a potential that this is going to happen? And after they have uh, transpired, what's the likelihood of the wildfire expanding? And then where are the other pockets? Are there hot pockets within the area? We also are looking at building uh, damages and any type of damage assessments. Um, is there road uh, con uh, obstructions that have transpired? So I'm fortunate enough to be able to work on these types of initiatives, which is all about data. So we're at this point, we're looking at imagery analytics and computer visioning, things like that, that absolutely requires the use of cognitive science and intelligence and artificial intelligence, machine learning, and I can't exclude uh, natural language processing. We need all of those capabilities to, to really generate outcomes that really matter to the world. And that's what I'm most excited about is, and that's what I'm talking about today mostly, is the things that we're doing that I know we're making a difference in the world and we're helping our first responders and uh, with the pandemic and all of that, those are all things that are so important. Everything is important, right? The mission of, with the federal government is important, but I'm just pointing out a couple of significant undertakings that we are um, advancing and moving forward because we're trying to help make the world a better place and save some lives. And you certainly are. And I, you know, if you think about the pandemic as, as an obvious one, the fires was another one and geospatial, et cetera, that is a, uh, you know, bushels and bushels of data that has to be processed at, uh, you know, light speed. So I'm sure that's uh, it's just fantastic the way this technology is allowing you all to make great informed decisions. Henry, how about over at Cloudera? Can you give us an example of a specific program that you've been able to help an agency work on to further their mission? Yeah, I think one is really around uh, that's interesting is working with a number of governments um, around national statistics. So think of U.S. Census Bureau uh, and other uh, other countries' uh, national uh, statistics organizations. And what's interesting about these organizations is they're often uh, some of the largest uh, employers of uh, data scientists, uh, collecting vast amounts of information uh, around their populations. Um, and one of the one of the great parts about it is that they're using machine learning um, to help uh, predict things like economic activity, um, using their data sets to understand a clear view of of how um, their uh, their economy is is growing, shrinking, changing, um, and doing it in real time. Um, and the same thing goes with how they're leveraging that data to understand their constituents. Um, what is the movement of their population? Uh, where do they need to make uh, greater investments? How does that affect um, policy changes at, at the, uh, the the federal and, and, and state and local levels? Um, and I think that's been an incredibly interesting um, uh, set of, of use cases that uh, Cloudera has been directly involved with in helping to make successful. It, it really is incredible when you think about the uh, the rich capability and just the the, the broad swath of ways that you can use this type of technology. Sanjay, we've heard a lot about uh, activity over at SBA these days, and you gave us a great uh, tutorial there, if you will, on sort of, you know, consumers versus uh, folks that are actually creating. Uh, tell us about a specific project area that you might want to unpack for us and just sort of take us through that. Sure. Thank you, Luke. And then uh, I'll talk about the customer service hub. And so let me give a little quick context around it. Uh, like most organizations at the SBA, we are receiving uh, customer inquiries coming in through email channels. Obviously, we were flooded with those customer inquiries. Uh, and so we quickly implemented a case management system. So we took these emails coming in in an automated manner, and then we created cases based on each email. And the one that I want to talk specifically about is using nat natural language processing and to do specifically sentiment analysis for these inbound emails. Uh, and that allowed us to sort of get a real-time or near real-time pulse of the customer sentiments in relation to the, the two major flagship programs, the PPP program and the IDLE program, the, the two loan programs that the SBA was chartered with. And that gave us a sense of what we needed to change from 
uh, or frequently asked questions, uh, what we needed to make changes in terms of customer service response, and how would the program maybe needed some tweaking as well. Uh, so I think this is one of the most important ones that I, I'll say is certainly customer facing. Uh, and obviously for us at the SBA, uh, customer experience and improving customer experience has been at the forefront. And so this is an example I specifically chose for the case that it helps you and the audience understand how we used machine learning in this case uh, to help improve the customer services and the customer experiences uh, in, a, in a difficult and a trying time. There's probably more examples I can obviously talk about, but certainly this comes to uh, mind as the forefront. That certainly is fascinating where you're able to, to read that and sort of get a pulse of the uh, sort of the voice of the customer, if you will. Exactly. And, and be able to adjust accordingly. I think that's fascinating. Alan, how about uh, over there at uh, Alter Alterix um, in regards to, uh, you know, a specific project, a specific effort that uh, you've been involved in to help further uh, an agency mission? Yeah, so I, I will say this is this is a hard question. It's like picking your your favorite child, right? Um, you know, so 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 many phenomenal use cases that we see across really really almost all the agencies. Um, but you know, one that comes to mind, uh, you know, as as uh, hurricane season approaches, I, I think back to just a really great use case with FEMA and Homeland Security, where you know after uh, Maria and Irma hit, there were well over 100,000 structures that, that were damaged. And the historic process is, you know, engineers have to assess those structures, figure out the level of damage to those structures to figure out how to, how to rebuild. And, you know, obviously the faster that gets done, the faster recovery can begin and, and life can, can get back to normal. But when you have 100,000 structures spread across a, a couple of Caribbean islands, this, this is, uh, is quite a task. Use, using a traditional process of going and assessing each one with, with engineers and spending hours at every structure, this could have been a decade uh, to assess all of these structures. And so armed with, with Alteryx and, and laptop computers, um, data from, from dozen sources, from satellite weather data to um, um, information about uh, tides and, and, and flooding, uh, the team was able to create uh, models on the fly, basically take take sample data, create models, and assess structural damage of these structures to quickly be able to assess which ones were under under the threshold of a fifty percent damage, which ones were over, which ones actually needed the assessment by humans. Um, speeding the recovery just dramatic amounts. And when I look at the impact that then that had on the lives of of all of those people to be able to get back onto the road road to recovery, it's just a massive impact. And then the spillover now having a process that you can respond to, to future disasters and do it efficiently. Now I think of examples like that, and again, I'm seeing these sorts of examples all over the place, but, but what, a, you know, what a great use of technology, a great use of data to really impact people's life. And you know, I, again, that's what makes us really excited at Alteryx is to, to be able to enable people to do things exactly like that. And at a time when they when they desperately need it, certainly, and Absolutely. when there's a lot of chaos out there, right? And things have to happen very quickly. There's a lot of uncertainty out there, et cetera. Uh, Riley, how about at the Air Force? I think about satellites. I think about embedded systems. You talked about the Jake. There's got to be a whole lot of activity there. Give us one example of where this technology is being used to sort of further the mission of the Air Force. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I mean, uh, Part of what I need to do is kind of set the stage, however. You know, the Air Force does have several of these AI teams, you know, that house our specialists that are working this dark art in all kinds of areas. Uh, but first, there's a huge value as you can appreciate in attracting the right talent. Now, we see very quick results from, you know, our Boston Accelerator, Kessel Run, uh, that, you know, leverages all this partnering with, uh, with learned and vetted cutting edge companies with academia. In fact, even with the companies that are on this panel today, uh, as well as with our allies and partners. And this is, a, this is a real key motivator because they're working you know, very specific and hard problems. But you know, all due respect to those smart developers that, you know, that are living in your mom's basement with their blue hair, tats, earrings, and never kissed a girl, you know, we want this talent in our court. Uh, I make this point because the stakes are much higher in the military because in many cases we're working around issues that involve putting lives at risk. So if I, if I was to look at the Air Force Research Lab, 
you know, they have this autonomy collaboration uh, team three, act three, and they have a group of ninjas there that, uh, that develop an AI platform. So let me give a shout out to, you know, Dr. Cap Rogers. So he's developing an operational capability that kind of brings issues or brings experience to the last mile of military applications. So, you know, having the ability to, to verify and validate techniques for military purposes requires expertise beyond just algorithm development. You know, we have to have an understanding of what the outputs and development concepts, you know, we're going to be able to expect. You know, Google and Facebook publish all kinds of algorithms of trained instances, you know, TensorFlow is an example. You know, it's fine to start with this, but we must be able to train to military applications. You, know, you simply can't start with an algorithm that identifies cats or puppies and apply it to finding tanks. So just to show the diversity of our projects, you know, we have uh, developed business processes, you know, prototyped for solving problems in strategy planning, programming, budgeting, and our execution process. This is a, you know, a very mundane, error-prone area, but it has allowed the Air Force to propose three times more planning choices in seconds, not weeks, for the same cost. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the, the diversity in regards to, um, you know, how one would approach this capability is certainly significant. And uh, being that the Air Force has a lot of diversity there, uh, I think it's great that uh, the way they're approaching that and, and doing it uh, very aggressively, I might add. Uh, Jim, how about at uh, Fortinet? Uh, tell us about a specific project that you've been able to work on that's been able to further the mission of one of these agencies across the departments and, uh, and agencies. Luke, I've talked about how powerful AI and ML are for cybersecurity, but I recognize that there are a large number of federal networks where neither the data nor even the telemetry about the data can be allowed to go off-premise or out of the network. So how do you do cybersecurity and leverage AI and ML for those cases without telling the customer, to use Sanjay's example, either build it yourself or you're out of luck? Uh, and Fortinet has been using AI and ML in production for security for 10 years. Not only has it gotten more powerful, but the corollary to that is the algorithms have gotten more efficient. And this year, we actually reached the point where we were able to deploy freestanding software-based versions of this so that if you can't bring the data to the AI, you can send the AI to the data center or potentially even to the endpoints in the federal network. And these are not lightweight software appliances. These are full deep neural networks, four layer deep neural networks. So they can deal with fairly complex operating environments. And um, the studies have shown that within about 12 or 13 weeks, one of those deployments can be producing as much alerting as three or four full-time SOC analysts are. So that's a way of saying you can take this kind of capability and you can give it to federal customers to use in their own environment where they've got to be able to take care of themselves. They can't rely on external customers who need to export the data to handle it. So that's a very powerful capability that's just come online for us this year. We're, we're excited to be working with federal partners on that. Are you able to, to uh, 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 you know, implement something like that uh, very quickly in regards to the departments and the agencies? Are they embracing that? Uh, sort of it, wholeheartedly, if you will? It, it just started coming online as a capability uh, at the same time COVID hit. So we haven't been able to have a close dialogue with, with a lot of our typical federal channels to be able to say, here's a capability. Do you want to start deploying it inside your network? But this is a full standalone commercial product. Um, we, we call it, you know, a virtual security analyst. But again, it's really a very powerful AI tool. So this is something that is is now with us that I think we'll find f federal partners more interested in using because it gives them full control over the data with the power of these fully mature data analytics. Interesting that you're able to take something that's been sort of hardened in the commercial environment now ported over. I love that story. That sounds great. Well, we're going to take another short break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network.
at Cloudera, they believe the data can make what is impossible today possible tomorrow. Cloudera empowers the public sector to transform complex data into clear and actionable insights for government agencies and organizations. Cloudera delivers an enterprise data cloud for any data, anywhere from the edge to AI, powered by the relentless innovation of the open source community. Cloudera advances mission-critical digital transformation for the public sector's largest enterprises. Learn more at cloudera.com. Every agency is looking to propel their organizations forward with AI and machine learning, but many have not considered what shape their data is in. After all, garbage in is garbage out. From messy data to actionable insight, the Altrix Analytics platform provides a code-free, code-friendly environment that clears your path to advanced analytics with geospatial, predictive, and machine learning. With Altrix, you can accelerate the quality and insights within your data, getting to the thrill of solving more quickly and efficiently. Visit altrix.com AI to learn more. This is Bob Fortnock. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges, make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, Go to FortinetFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about AI and ML, and I'm going to throw it over to you, Ron, at Department of Justice. Uh, what are you guys up to over there? What, what are you working on right now? Give us an example of a specific program that you're, you're working on. It's really uh, lighting it up there at Department of Justice. I think... Um from, from the standpoint, you, you've heard some great use cases, and obviously within the department, we are exploring the use of AI in a number of tools, from tools that we're buying and what are the commercial impacts um, of using the AI, um, and what is also being used within our cybersecurity realm in these tools. I think you're, you're hearing a lot of good use cases. But one thing I, I wanted to add a little color on is uh, how accessible AI has become to our developers. So as a, as a personal example, just to sort of humanize this a little bit, I, my oldest son's at uh, Penn State University, and he's, he's an undergraduate, and he's doing computer vision. So I'm thinking back when I was doing my senior projects, I actually worked on neural nets, and um, I was trying to build out some algorithms, and that was 20 years ago, and here he is working on computer, computer vision. It fits on his laptop. He's, it's a couple hundred lines of dense Python code, and he's getting efficacy rates of better than 96%. Um, now the training, because it's on a laptop, it takes a little over four hours, but it's pretty astounding what is at the fingertips of our developers today. I think a lot of people today are, are looking at AI as something that is big and unapproachable, and this is something we have to be thinking about when the students and the developers that are, are, are driving a lot of our innovation really have it at their fingertips. Um, so I, I'll just leave it at, um, I, I really think we're spending a lot of time trying to make sure that people understand how accessible, what this really means um, really to the broad community. I mean, it is remarkable. The, the compute capability that's available to, to any uh, uh, college student, right? Any high school student. Uh, the data that's available, right, and uh, and the ability to, to to merge those things together is just unbelievable. With these new languages now, is is just fascinating what's happening there. All right, we're going to talk about priorities and uh, want to talk about top priorities for the coming year. And uh, Sanjay, let's start with you. Tell us a lot of activity going on at SBA. You got a lot of things on the uh, on the deck right now. I'm sure you've got a lot of things uh, for. Uh, uh, top priorities that you're looking at? Sure. Um, so highest uh, level priority obviously is improving customer experience. Uh, that continues to be the SBA's focus and our focus at the uh, technologists, if you will, supporting SBA's mission. Uh, cybersecurity is number two. And uh, I know I won't go into a lot of details around that. I know some of my colleagues talked about it, about how AI and ML is enabling a more secure environment for us. Um, the one thing that I would say is uh, we are also looking at increasing the use of ML and AI for fraud detection, if you will. 
Um, that's something which when you're processing large volume of uh, applications, uh, that becomes, if you will, more um, available and handy in being able to do some automation there. Um, and I talked about how we are using AI and ML uh, in being able to process applications faster. So improving a customer response times, um, it, kind of the major recurring theme is around improving a customer experience. And we continue to do that, and we're looking for opportunities in that. The, the one last thing I'd say is that across the board, even within the three use cases I talked about, uh, and some of my colleagues here on the panel have mentioned that, um, some use cases, we had to spend an inc incredibly amount, amount of time in training the algorithms, uh, for instance, uh, extraction of structured data from PDFs. But in the other use cases where AI ML is embedded, like the example of anomaly detection in the cybersecurity tools that I talked about earlier, that was a almost a just turn it on and start seeing the alerts that are coming on, fine-tune it a bit, and you're ready to consume it. It's, and so, so we're seeing a broad spectrum across the board. Really cool. You, 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 I see work going on on the back end, work going on in the front end with the customer experience. That, that, that's fascinating. I'm really pleased to see that. Pam, how about over at uh, Department of Energy? Top priority for next year or this year? So the t one of the top priorities is the workforce and talent management. So we've got to get the, the workforce to the place where we uh, better understand how to test the AI and ML solutions that are either made available to us or those that we are building. So we need to better understand how to secure the data, for instance, that we're using to train the models with. How do we uh, uh, put together a good risk management program for uh, managing the assets in, as a whole, for instance, the models, the algorithms. Um, so we are very focused on that. And then I just want the, for my staff in particular, I really want us to, uh, we really embrace AI, we really embrace risk management, but we really need to get in there and better understand what that means and um, what is acceptable. What is an acceptable risk level, right? If, if I am um, looking to provide some insights uh, pertaining to my, um, pertaining to health, right? Is it acceptable that the, the, the variance is 1%, right? Does it have to be 100% precise? So we want to dig deeper into understanding that area of risk management and um, how to test and quality assure the products and services. And that is really uh, it, through my innovation community center that I have in, uh, in my office. Um, that is something that we are really focused on is how do we go about this? Because that is the very next step, considering data, considering hypotheses, considering the fact that we are dependent on the AI outcomes. Uh, when I do a search, for instance, what's the, the probability that the search results are exactly what I need and how do I use the search results? So sure. it goes a little bit sure. deeper than uh, the surface type of stuff, but if I can get the workforce thinking about these things, yeah. we're ahead of the curve, but it's something that we absolutely uh, need and we're making that happen through our uh, through the Innovation Community Center. All right, so we're going to wrap it up here and we're going to ask all the panel members about uh, sort of what does the future look like? We're going to start with you, Alan, at Altrex. You know, what's it look like uh, going forward? What's it look like over the horizon? Yeah, so, you know, Ron mentioned his story about you know, someone with a, a technical background, his son learning, you know, vision systems in school and being able to do it lightning fast. And what we see now happening is this is spreading. You've got accountants basically now doing the same thing in their education program. And, and what we're really focused on is bringing these leading edge technologies, of AI and ML, to everyone. So in every area of the organization, at every level of the organization, people can go on this journey whether it's the NLP sentiment analysis type stuff, being able to do it drag and drop or advanced modeling, um, really making it easy and guiding people along that journey. So many incredible use cases. Jim, how about over at Fortinet? 
So Luke, it's easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees. We've been talking about a lot of really exciting tree level things in AI and ML on this panel. Um, and from a cybersecurity perspective, it's, it, it's something that is going to fundamentally transform the way it's done. We're, going to, we're coming to a tipping point where we're going to take the advantage away from the offense, from the attacker, because they're not perfect. They're not invisible. And if finally AI and ML allows you to say, I see them trying, I see them failing, I can divine their intent. And while patient zero, to use the pandemic metaphor, is still battling an infection, I'm inoculating everybody else, that is transformational. And that's actually where AI and ML are driving us in the cybersecurity business. So my recommendation to a federal customer is there are only half a dozen of these big platform-based ecosystems out there. Pick one. Don't end up accidentally making procurements from three major ones because you're not getting defense in depth. You're leaving synergy on the cutting room floor. Pick one and drive it home. Good advice. Henry, how about at Cloudera? What's it look like uh, over the horizon for you all? Thanks, Luke. So I think just to, to say it quickly, um, you know, there was a survey done last year, only 35% of algorithm work was actually making it to production, right? The things that we think about are how do we productionize ML and AI? How do you do things like uh, where we're getting ML into everybody's hands, but we're also understanding how to secure it, how to govern it? Um, how, how do you know uh, where data came from, how it was changed, uh, and how is it going to be implemented in the past, right? So that we can actually put these things into production. And having a platform like Cloudera that allows you to do that full lifecycle from data collection all the way to ML um, and, and allowing it to make it into production more quickly. I think that's where the future is, is making these things not science projects, but making them effective production use cases. Sort of real use, and we've heard some of that real use, sort of real-time use cases that uh, are being uh, widely adopted, which is fantastic. Ron, what's the future look like? Uh, if we sort of, you know, sort of look over the horizon here in uh, the next two years, what can we expect across the Department of Justice? So I think, um, and I'm going to put on the, uh, my co-chair from the Innovation Committee that, that had from a federal wide, if you start thinking about how fast AI and ML is being adopted across the technology world. We really need to be thinking about um, a, a good understanding from a governance perspective, a broad understanding of what does it take to build, when you should be building AI versus buying AI versus understanding, just understanding what you, the controls you need to have in place of AI in your every, everyday products. And I think that if you, if you flash forward a couple years from now, we're gonna to have to make significant coordination and efforts to make sure that we have the right governance in place to ensure we have the controls, the cybersecurity, the privacy, um, and honestly that AI aligns to American values when we have a human in the loop and eventually for when we don't have a human in the loop. And it's gonna take a lot, of, a lot of effort and coordination across the entire federal uh, ecosystem. Really is a, a delicate balance there, right? When you're looking at, uh, when you get to the point where, you know, or perhaps you don't need a human in the loop, so to speak, um, uh, uh, making sure that you're, you're doing that in a uh, thoughtful and respectful way is going to be super important. Uh, Sanjay, how about over at SBA? Uh, what does it look like if I'm, uh, I'm going to go apply for a loan in two years? What kind of an experience am I going to have compared to what I have today? which today is uh, awesome, excellent. by the way, so I don't know if it can get any better, right? I think it can definitely get better, Luke, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, reducing the time it takes to respond to our customer inquiries, whether it's loan applications, certification programs, or whatever services that we are providing to the citizens and the consumers. And certainly this is where I see the use of AI and ML to help us reduce the time it takes us to service. So in essence, again, the recurring theme is improving customer experiences. Number two, I would say is improving our workforce from moving them into a more higher value added work uh, as opposed to the lower value added work that they are currently doing by automating things or using ML. And I talked about those examples like extracting data from, you know, structured data from, from PDF documents as an example. And number three, I would say is improving our cybersecurity posture uh, by use of uh, AI and ML tools. So those are the three things I would say uh, I would see in the next two or three years for the SBA. Uh, and, and, and a much and, and all those you're doing to some degree now, 
Uh, exactly correct. Home in, a, in, a, in a more uh, a more realized, more mature, more in depth way uh, over the next couple of years, which will of course you know increase the customer experience, et cetera. Pam, how about at Department of Energy? If we uh, if we look at sort of uh, uh, the way you guys are operating in respect to uh, wildfires, which you know people might have not even have thought about that, right? It's a very interesting scenario you brought up or uh, the COVID stuff. Uh, what can we expect in a couple of years? I would say more of the collective impact partnerships. That's what we call it, um, consortium style um, activity where we're bringing groups of people together to collectively think about the solutions to problems. And then um, I want to say cognitive information agents. So when I model my business today, when I model my organization, and what's the most effective from an operations perspective, what should my business model look like, what are the core capabilities and competencies that I need, I don't want to have to do that. I want AI. I want to be able to run an algorithm or run a model, and it tells me how my organization, what are the recommendations, how should my organization uh, be optimized, what are some of the operational models that we should consider. I don't really want to spend, I think about the financial services and, and uh, things like that, and when I'm looking at my investments and my portfolio, I run tools that help me plan. I would rather see more AI built into how we run our business, how we drive customer experiences um, and things like that, rather than uh, me taking the time to do so and then bring in the human aspect of this to just validate what's going on and apply uh, proof of concepts, things like that. So that's what I'm looking at is for AI to give me more intelligence on how to run my organization more efficiently. Right, really extract yourself from some of that that sort of daily grind and get into this higher order, sort of higher value, uh, similar to what Sanjay was saying, I, right. I think. Mm -hmm. Riley, how about over at the Air Force? A lot of activity going on over there. Uh, if we sort of looked over the horizon. I'm a new airman coming into the Air Force. What can I expect? Well, Luke, uh, you know, my belief is that the Air Force will continue our commitment to leverage our airmen and their innovation basically to see and deliver on what the art of the possible, you know, actually is. Uh, we certainly, as Pam mentioned, will see these formalized connections to capabilities with seamless cross-service collaboration. And this will include with our allies, with our industry partners, with academia, and with the venture capital community. Um, uh, you know, having this advanced, I call it advanced situational awareness to the capabilities and capacities that are out there will only enable our Air Force investments in all the domains that we reside in today. Uh, fantastic. And I want to mention not only Air Men, but of course, Air Women who are out there uh, fighting the good fight um, uh, on behalf of all of us and protecting this nation. So I want to thank all of you, uh, first of all, uh, for taking your time out of your busy schedule today uh, to, uh, to participate on this panel. Uh, I'd like to thank the, uh, the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience, for tuning in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. This is Rick Meehan, Mayor of Ocean City, Maryland, and I'm here to invite you to once again visit our beautiful beach and boardwalk. We've all been through a lot together, and now it's time to relax and unwind in your happy place, Ocean City, Maryland. But I need to ask you a favor. When you come to town, don't forget to continue social distancing. And be sure to follow all the safety guidelines we have in place. I know it's tempting to forget all your troubles when you come to Ocean City, but by being just a little extra cautious, you'll help keep the town and yourself and your family moving forward. 
The summer of 2020 may be different in some ways, but what you love about Ocean City hasn't changed. The sunrise is still beautiful, the ocean air is as relaxing as you remember, and all your favorite shops, restaurants, and hotels are excited to see you. So plan a fun, safe Ocean City vacation. Go to Oceocean.com to learn more about how we're keeping Ocean City safe. Children are spending more time at home. Teachers, parents, neighbors, and friends, it's up to you to keep them safe. Now more than ever, it's important to stay connected by phone, video chat, and social media. If you have concerns or see changes in a child, be there for them. Ask questions, seek help, report suspected child abuse or neglect.